Well, I almost uh, went to dismiss the children, and there aren't any. So uh, we didn't dismiss kids today. A very unusual uh, Sunday. I want to echo some of the things that uh, Tanner said. Um, there are some hard things uh, that are happening. We did have a, a wonderful uh, wedding uh, yesterday for Caroline McNair and Paul Meany, and a uh, wonderful celebration. But uh, on the other side of that, this Thursday at 1, uh, we will celebrate and remember the life of Lynn Pewter. She, uh, she died this past week in Houston, and uh, we pray for John and for their family. And, uh, and we will remember her in a, in a memorial service here in the sanctuary on Thursday at 1 o'clock. I also, uh, unintended uh, consequences of things that happen, I want to apologize uh, to Ben and Libby Godwin and uh, Joy and Augustine and Kevin Adu, whose baptisms were planned today. And uh, we obviously are not going to be able to have those, and so we want to reschedule those real soon. But my apologies to those families. And then uh, we will come back on another day and celebrate our 50-year members. But I was planning today, um, uh, today is Tom Cook's uh, 100th birthday. So Tom, I don't know if you're watching, uh, but I had planned to celebrate you today. So we'll just uh, do that from the comfort of our own home. So happy birthday to you, Tom. And then um, for all of you who are kind of watching on the Facebook live stream, uh, I would love for you uh, to just take a picture of how you're experiencing worship and, and post that. Uh, because I think if there are a lot of people posting pictures and maybe making comments, it'll help create a little sense of community that we're all doing that together. So if you're, if you're willing and you can kind of take a photo of how you and your family are experiencing worship today, that would be, uh, that'd be wonderful to see. So we're going to come to God's Word in uh, Hebrews chapter 4, and let me pray as we, uh, as we come to that. Father, uh, indeed, we are, we are waiting this morning. Um, we are expectant. Um, we pray for your Holy Spirit to come and illuminate these truths in your word, um, to calm our spirits, to soothe our souls, um, to give us your wisdom and direction, and to help us understand, uh, perhaps in a unique and a new way, what is the unprecedented nature of this time. Uh, so Father, overcome my uh, sinful heart, my brokenness today. And uh, would these words, Lord, uh, belong to you? Father, any words that I speak that are my own, would they be forgotten and fall away? And may the words that belong to you, may they be remembered so that you alone today receive honor and glory and praise. So we ask it in the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen. So we uh, continue uh, our observance uh, whenever the word of God is read in, uh, in the context of worship, we always stand. So wherever you are, if you'd uh, stand this morning, as we read the word of God from Hebrews chapter four, verses one to 11. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, and they refers to the nation of Israel just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. That's an Old Testament quote, and I'll come back and refer to that later. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. 
And on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest. And those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today. When a long time later, he spoke through David, as was said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. This is the word of the Lord today for you, his church. And we would ask that the Holy Spirit of God would come and put it in our hearts in such a way that we might understand the unique opportunity that God is creating in us and through us and in his church by virtue of the nature of these days in which we are now living. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And now you may be seated, get on your sofa, get in your easy chair, someplace that's comfy. So uh, it's always interesting, many of you know, that every May I go away for two weeks and I plan about 12 to 15 months of my preaching. And what's always fascinating to me is the way that the Holy Spirit moves and works, if I'm paying attention, that from so many months and weeks ago when today was planned, God in his heaven knew what would be happening in our culture and he chose that I would speak today on Hebrews chapter four. That just blows my mind. But one of the features of my, of my two weeks where I go away is that I spend the first two or three days and, and I'm a mess because I, I cannot get over the feeling of being frenetic and hurried and guilty that I am in a condo or wherever I am at the beach and I'm not doing anything. I feel like I'm not being productive because I'm praying and studying and being in the presence of God. It takes me two or three days to work myself out of the way that I've been formed culturally into a manner of hurry and rush and busyness. It's, it's a word that John Ortberg and kind of you saw at the end of the video there, John Ortberg and Dallas Willard kind of coined this phrase that afflicts our culture. It's called hurry sickness. And every year in May, when I go on my, on my study leave, I realize that I'm, I'm a hurry sick person. I have that disease. And every year by the end of my study leave, man, I feel great. I'm sitting at the beach, my Bible's open and I am just relaxed and peaceful. And I always say, okay, I'm going to go back and I'm not going to let this happen again. But invariably I get pushed back in to the practices and to the liturgy of our secular world. So let me give you a few symptoms of hurry sickness in case maybe you might be struggling with hurry sickness too. Number one, you hate to wait. If you come to a stoplight, what do you do? You assess the make and model of the cars that are in front of you and you pick the one that looks the fastest so you can get in the lane that's gonna move ahead the most quickly and then once the light goes green, you race all the other cars. Yeah, I would, I would never, do, yeah, I, I do that all the time. In private conversations, you do this. Someone's talking to you and you start nodding 
like this, as if nodding at them, will speed up what they're saying to you. Another thing you do when you go to the grocery store. Now, I don't have a whole lot of experience with that, but I sure do this when I'm there. I was there this week with all the masses stocking up. And what do you do? You assess the grocery carts of everyone else. You look at how many things are in the cart, and then you assess the checkout person. And you look at how fast they're checking things, who's the fastest, and then you pick the line. And then if you don't get out ahead of someone in the other line, when you leave, you're kind of mad, you feel guilty, you're irritated with yourself that you picked the wrong line. Or hurry sick people do this. They, they subscribe to all kinds of content. So they get all the blogs and the podcasts and the books, and they say, I'm gonna do all this, and then Hurry sick people feel guilty that they don't have the time to get to all the things that they subscribe to. Hurry sick people rush around the house for no reason. You find yourself doing that in your homes. You're just, you're rushing around and maybe some of you parents do this because I did it with my kids. You play games with your kids and you turn them into races. You go, okay, kids, whoever can get their bath done and in their jammies and into bed first wins, right? Because you're just trying to speed up your kids. That's what hurry sick people do. We're kind of like the, the old cartoon where two people meet on the street and they're trying to schedule lunch. And one guy says to the other one, hey, how's Thursday? Is Thursday good for you? And the other guy goes, no, Thursday's no good. How about never? Does never work? You know, we've, we've kind of fallen in to this hurry sickness. As we think about our culture today, the currency of our culture isn't money, it's time. And we never seem to have enough of it. Tish Warren writes this, time is most often something I seek to manage or something I resent, something that I never have enough of. In my frenetic life, I forget how to slow down and wait. And my goodness, is that ever where we're living? We slow down and wait. I wish I had heeded the words of Simon and Garfunkel. They said, slow down you move too fast, right? That is so true in our lives, but think about, that's why I'm so amazed that I'm preaching on this today. Think about this unprecedented moment in, in our culture, not just in our American culture, but around the world, what's happening? We are being collectively slowed down. We are being forced to pause and wait all the things that we would normally do and fill our days with. They're gone, there's no entertainment. There's no Broadway, there's no Disney, there are no parks. All the things that we would travel to, business meetings have been canceled. People are working at home. My goodness, there's no sports, right? This is actually Lee Swanson's dream. Her prayer has been that ESPN would someday just go out of business. She tweeted this week. She said, does this mean that we can turn off ESPN? And so there are no sports. So I know there are a lot of men out there right now and you're thinking, what am I gonna do this afternoon, right? I'm kind of wondering that myself. Every Sunday afternoon, I'm gonna go home, I'm gonna watch sports. Well, that's true across the board, across our world. We're all separated and we're being slowed into this unique season. Friends, what an opportunity we have to reassess and to think about how we're spending our lives and to learn from what Hebrews chapter four has to tell us. Now, Hebrews four is unique or Hebrews is unique because we don't know who wrote it, but we do know the purpose for which it was written. The author of Hebrews is trying to inspire the people of God to kind of reclaim what it means that we have been saved in and through Jesus Christ. 
And not only is the wonder of our salvation something to bless us, but then he's saying, this should also impact your behavior. It should impact your communities. It should impact how you think about your life, which is why Hebrews 4.1 says, let us be careful then. Right, that's an incredible thing. What's happening to us in this season is we're, be, we're being given the opportunity to slow down and think. And that really is something that's happening around the world. We're thinking about the things that matter. We're thinking about all the patterns and all the rituals of our lives. Remember for weeks now, we've been talking about the liturgy of our lives. What are the things that we do over and over and over again? And for a long time, you know, one of the things that we've been, the, the liturgies of our secular society that are pushing us into is his, its mold. One, one of those things is when we get, get, get so busy that we don't spend time with God. We are spending time apart from him and we get crushed into that. So now what takes hold? Individualism. Because when, when we're not spending time with God, when we're not being formed by him, individualism says, well, we're most important. We're the ones who matter. But now what just happened in the last week, we have to turn on a dime and we have to say, oh wait, maybe the larger community matters. Maybe I have to behave in ways in which I'm making sacrifices for the good of other people. And we just don't do that readily. I mean, our culture doesn't just all of a sudden switch off what we've been told for years to now become community focused, but that's where people are. I mean, think about the sacrifices that have been made. The reason we're not having church today is because we felt like it was the most loving thing for us to do, is to not think about the, ourselves and say, well, I wanna be in church, I wanna be in community. But instead, we want to think about others. We wanna slow the spread of disease. We wanna be sure that we're protecting our seniors and the most vulnerable. And so the author of Hebrews starts, he said, let's be careful about how we're living Let's think about the ways in which we're being formed and how our culture is shaping us. So we have this unique opportunity to think. And so let's dig into this whole concept of slowing and rest as we look at the rest of Hebrews chapter four. So this concept that I'm talking about this morning, rest and slowing our lives, it didn't start with the fourth commandment in Exodus chapter 20. It actually goes all the way back to the beginning. And Hebrews 4, verses 3 and 4 alludes to it. And yet his work, God's work, has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. So that's a reference back to Genesis. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And so God, after he creates, after he does the work of creation, it says he rested. So always in our lives, there's been this rhythm of work and rest where we're creating and producing and we're taking the things that God has made. And then after we've done that, he says, but you need to pause and you need to rest. And so out of that, what we learn is that to be in God's presence, part of that quality of God's nature is a quality of rest. Because it says, when you come to be in God's presence, what's he doing? He's resting. The work of creation's over, that original creation. Now God continues to work and move, but heaven is a place of rest. And we yearn for that, but instead, we tend to live more in the land of the Red Queen from Alice in Wonderland. Maybe you remember when she said this. Now here you see, it takes all the running you can do to keep in the same place. 
If you want to get somewhere else, you must run at least twice as fast as that. My goodness, does that describe our lives today? We feel like we have to run fast just to stay where we are. And if we want to actually get ahead, if we want to get to some place where we're going, we have to run twice as fast as that because we've been, we've been duped. We've been conned by the enemy into believing that if I can rush and hurry and work and produce and do all these things quickly, then at the end of that is that I obtain all the things that will then allow me to rest. And so we, we've gotten confused. We've idolized busyness, but, but we shouldn't be shocked by that because actually that's part of Genesis 3 when God tells Adam and Eve about the consequences of their sin. You remember what he said? Verses 17 and 19, Genesis 3, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. See, that's so telling because up until that point, work was a gift. Work in the garden, they were taking the things that God had made, they were tending them. It was uplifting, it was a blessing, it was a gift. But then after the fall, it's no longer work, is it? It's, it's toil. Work became burdensome because we were starting to do the wrong thing. We were behaving in ways that were not according to God's original plan and purpose. Verses two and three from Hebrews four. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. So that's the allusion to the people of Israel. And I'll unpack that after I finish reading it, because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, so I declared on my oath and my anger, they shall never enter my rest. So that's a direct quote from Psalm 95, 11, that refers to the people of Israel. And what we have to understand is that the, the whole experience of the Old Testament foreshadows what would happen in the New Testament when the people of Israel I mean, are redeemed from Egypt, they are released from their bondage to slavery. They're then taken through the wilderness and they're given the promise and the hope of this land that they would inherit, a land of peace and promise, a land flowing with milk and honey. That foreshadows the New Testament church, that we have been brought out of our bondage and our slavery to sin. We are brought through the wilderness that is life here on this planet. But then we have this hope and this promise of this place where we are going, a place of peace and hope, a land flowing with milk and honey in the heavenly realms. That's what he is alluding to, the people of Israel and the people of God. But see, friends, we've, we've been tricked. We've been duped. We've been conned so that now... We've made an idol. Do you see what the enemy's done? We've made an idol out of something that God has said is actually sinful. Our fatigue, our exhaustion, our hurry sickness, that's part of our fallen nature. God says you find your rest, not in what you're gonna accomplish in this life, but you find your rest in me. And he says, some of the people in Israel didn't get it. So they can't enter my rest, but I, I want you to. We can still enter that rest. It, it reminds me of that, that great uh, a part of Gulliver's Travels, Jonathan Swift's novel, Gulliver's Travels, and the Lilliputians, when they encounter Gulliver, they think his watch is his God. Why? Because he kept looking at it all the time. And so they just assumed that must be his most important thing. That was his God. 
how true that is of our lives. So here's what the church has done. There is the liturgy of our lives, the things that we do every day over and over again. What is that liturgy? Because what we do over and over again forms us and it can form us for good or bad. So you have your schedule, you have your calendar, you have the liturgy of how you spend your time. Well, guess what? The church, actually to counteract secular culture, the church has her own time. Did you know that? I bet a lot of you were not aware that for centuries, the church has had her own time and it's contrary to secular time. So you fill your schedule, you make your appointments, you do your thing, but the church over here has a completely alternate time schedule. It's called liturgical time, the liturgy of what we do over and over again each year. So it's not just day to day, but year to year. So think about this. The church starts liturgical time with Advent. And what do we do? We remember, we wait, and we celebrate. Advent is when we wait for the coming of Christ into the world. So for those four weeks, we're doing exactly what we're doing today. We slow, we wait, and we hope for the coming of Christ. And then when he comes on Christmas, we celebrate. And then we wait again for a little while, and then we have epiphany a few days later when he comes to be circumcised. Then we move to the season of Lent that we're in right now, the adult life of Jesus, where we remember and we wait. We wait for the cross because we know how desperately we need it. We wait in the hope of the resurrection, and then, yes, on Easter morning, we celebrate that he is risen. But we didn't rush to it. We had, we had to wait You have to understand that liturgical time, our life in Christ, there's a lot of waiting. And then after the resurrection of Christ, we remember the next 40 days where the disciples are waiting. They were promised. Jesus said in Acts 1, the Holy Spirit's gonna come. But they have to wait and they're scared. And they're in that upper room. And then all of a sudden, we celebrate Pentecost. The Spirit comes. The church is born. See, the church has created her own time in order to slow yours, in order to help us rest and to wait and to learn how to wait, to slow down so that spiritual life can be formed in us and that that formation, we're pushing back against the ways that secular culture is trying to form us. We have to slow into the sense of Sabbath rest. So secondly, I know a lot of you are thinking right now, there's no way I can do that, right? And, and I would, you know, in some parts agree with you. I'm not saying you're gonna come into this life where you're just so relaxed and easy all the time. That's not it, but you can build the right rhythm. Listen to what uh, Hebrews 4, 1 says. Therefore, in other words, because of what I just told you, because of all the problems in the rebellion of Israel, I want you to know the promise of entering God's rest still stands. So God is saying to us today, no matter how tired you may be, and even though now you may have a little bit of a respite, if you've you know, beaten back the hordes at the grocery store and now you're home, maybe you can rest a little bit, but even when this is over, and see, that's the beauty of this time is we're being allowed to assess some things now so that when life goes back to normal, however we define that, what will be the rhythm and the pattern of our life? Verses nine to 11 say this, 
There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore, here it is, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. So we, God says to us, we have to make the effort. We have to think about this. We have to give careful thought, verse one. So, you know, a lot of times the, uh, the church pastors, what they learn in seminary, uh, we're pretty good, and I certainly fail in this. We're good on telling you what the Bible says. We're good at telling you what the commands are. What should I do? What does God say? We, we do great at that. We're, we're not so good at the how part. So, okay, God says that I should do this. Well, how do I do that? Well, that takes some more practical thinking, and I wanna walk through some of those steps with you this morning. I remember when I got back from my sabbatical about three years ago, and the second day that I came home from work, I said to Lee, I said, I had forgotten what it feels like to be tired. You know, I'd just been in this season of rest for so long, I'd forgotten that that feeling of physical and mental and emotional fatigue. So again, let me say, I'm not saying that, oh, if you follow Christ, you'll never feel that way, you will. But we can learn this rhythm to working and creating and doing the things that God wants us to do while also finding rest, while also knowing peace. But we have to do that by making an effort towards it. So let me just tell you first about our pastoral team. And again, these are just super practical things that I want you to be thinking about in an unprecedented time. We wanna, went away on a retreat about 10 days ago before any of this uh, had unfolded. And we were not expecting God to show up in the way that he did, but we gathered and we started kind of an open devotional and I shared a few thoughts and uh, read out of a couple of Psalms and we were gonna pray together. And pretty quickly, I feel like, the Holy Spirit took that moment and led us to a 24-hour period that was pretty much centered in prayer. And we realized as a staff team that we needed to slow down in our own lives and to be more focused on praying for the church, that we needed to be intentional about praying for you, about praying for your renewal, about praying for your hunger to know Christ, about praying that you would hunger that others would know Christ. Are we doing that in a specific intentional way? So each of us made individual commitments. So mine and the the promise I make to you, I said that for the foreseeable future, and I wrote on my calendar six months is when I'm gonna reassess. I'm gonna come to church 30 minutes before or earlier than I normally would before whatever thing is I have to be at. And I'm gonna sit in the sanctuary and I'm gonna pray for the church. I'm gonna pray for her renewal. And then once a week on Wednesdays, as a staff team, we're gonna spend 45 minutes together praying for that exact thing. What we did was we made an effort to do what God was calling us to do, to push back against secular culture, to be formed by something that we're choosing to do over and over and over again. We have to make every effort to do that. And some of you, we've done this in some parts, of our church's ministry with our new vision and values. Some of you have said, well, why is the church doing less? Well, think about that with me for a second. We don't offer as much programming because if we offered programming all the time, if you were always at the church, 
then you wouldn't be having the opportunities with all the other things you're doing in your life to know that rest and to be with your families, to be in your neighborhoods, to be serving in your vocations. We don't necessarily always want you here. If we're always rushing around and even, I've done my best this morning, I don't know if I horribly failed, but, but I'm preaching on rest and slowing down. So I've tried not to be so like this this morning, you know? because that would be kind of antithetical to the point I'm trying to make. So I've tried to keep myself uh, in here. Uh, but uh, there's a great book out right now by John Comer, and he builds on what Dallas Willard said when Willard said, you have to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. The title of that book, Tanner, is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Comer. It's a great book but it goes through some of these things. So one of the things, and again, I'm just talking super practically right now, but one of the things Lee and I did when our kids were younger, we said, okay, as a family, we're running all over the place. So you know what? Dad, I'm not gonna be out more than three nights on any uh, given week. Uh, that means I'm gonna have at least four nights at home. We're always gonna do Sunday to get dinner together. We said our kids can play one sport per season and then one other activity. So you wanna play a sport and you wanna take guitar lessons, you wanna play a sport and be on your book staff, whatever it was, and then you have one season where you didn't do anything. And Orange County Public Schools helped us with that um, because there was a six week period in the summer where they were not allowed to do anything. So we looked at our family and we said, because in our sinful nature, here's the thing people, we're hurry sick because we do it to ourselves. We overcommit and overschedule and so, the solution to that may well be, how can I ruthlessly eliminate hurry from my life? Let me read you what Chris, uh, Richard Foster uh, says about simplicity. Christian simplicity frees us from this modern mania. It brings sanity to our compulsive extravagance and peace to our frantic spirit. It allows us to see material things for what they are goods to enhance life, not to oppress life. Let me just encourage you, in the season of time that we have, whatever it is, if it's four weeks, if it's eight weeks, we don't really know. But in this season of life, think about how to simplify what you're doing, that you might know more rest, that we might not be like the Israelites who said no, I'm gonna follow these things because I think that's gonna give me what I need. God says that's idolatry. He says, you're only gonna find the rest that you seek when you follow me. Let me remind you as I close about a Time Magazine article from the 1960s that described a Senate hearing in which the leading technology experts of the day testified before the Senate of a growing concern about all the free time that we were gonna have in the United States of America. They said that technology would allow us to accomplish our work in such a way that we would only work 22 hours a week and 27 weeks a year. And so what were Americans going to do with all their free time? And so what did we do? We followed that secular formation and we just filled it. We filled all of our time with more and more and more and more of the things that we think we need, the hurry and the rush to deliver us. We, we wear our busyness almost as a badge of honor. 
we wear it as if somehow that is what determines our worth and value. But God says to us, come to me. In me, you will find your rest. So my encouragement to you today in this most surreal season, God has given us an unprecedented opportunity to think, to give careful thought to how we're living. Just as the author of Hebrews challenged the early church, how are you living? How are you spending your time? And friends, what are you gonna do this afternoon? You can't do all the things you normally do. So maybe you'll actually be face-to-face with some people you love. Maybe you'll spend some time with your spouse. Maybe you'll go play in the park with your kids. Maybe you'll walk down the hall and knock on someone's door and say, hey, do you wanna have a cup of tea? But you'll experience fellowship together in a way that affirms who we are in Christ. Friends, we're here for you as a church. Um, We are uh, looking forward, honestly, to how God is going to use this season to glorify himself and to build us as a community as we seek to serve him. Let us try to follow what the word of God says and to eliminate hurry in our lives so that we can rest in the peace and the love of Christ. Let's pray together. And so, Lord, calm our harried hearts today. We're worried and we're stressed. And sometimes when we feel that way, we just instinctively rush. But Father, you've slowed the entire world. I mean, when have we ever been able to say that? You've slowed the whole world. And I pray that as a result, our minds would turn to you and we would reconsider and reassess how you've called us to live. Lord, may we find peace and rest as we enter your presence, as we trust in your love, as we give ourselves to you this day. We pray it in Jesus Christ's name.